You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome, devoted listeners. I'm glad you're back here with me. So today, I'm going to be talking to our moms out there. But hey, if you're not a mom, don't tune me out yet, because grandmas, aunts, someday moms, I think there is always something in there in there for us. We always know that Scripture never returns void. And so I think there's some great things in the Scriptures that we're going to take a look at that, you know, definitely have messages for us who have charge over younger humans in our lives. But I think there's always something for us personally in these Scriptures, too. I just think that's such a cool thing about the Word of God. So hang with me, even if you see this and you're like, oh, I don't need to hear anything about parenting. Well, just hang on. Let's see what we get to in all of this. But, you know, first, just a word to our moms out there, okay? This is not an easy gig, is it? And let's just say first, perhaps this is a relatively easy season for you right now. Maybe you're in this season of ease and, man, praise the Lord for that. And, uh, you know, I would just say, keep your nose to the grind, keep teaching and training those kiddos, because you're going to reflect back on those days of these days of ease, perhaps if that is where you are. And uh, you're going to need this, that moment to think back and go, oh, these days weren't always so hard. However, some of you might be in kind of some tough days right now with kids. And this goes in all kinds of seasons. Boy, we could be talking about little kids. We could be talking about teenagers adult children, you know, the the spectrum is all over the place. And sometimes those seasons of parenting and training kiddos is, is a tough one. You know how they say moms don't get vacation days, right? I mean, if you're a mom, you're like, yeah, that's for sure. We do not get vacation days. I always love 2 Thessalonians 3.13 when it says, as you brothers do not grow weary in doing good. It's such a short verse, but I love the kindness in that verse because do you notice that it acknowledges that at times doing good can feel weary? And that seems like we might think, well, that can't be. If we're doing something good, it it shouldn't be that. But oh, man, that's not the case, right? We know that there are things that we should do and need to do for our families. We know that they have lists of things that need to be bought at the store. We know that there is dishes that seem to never end and the laundry and all of that. And at times it can feel, you know, just downright exhausting. But sometimes these short little verses, I think, are just the most encouraging. Just right there. Do not grow weary in doing good. That's such a good word. But it's interesting to me that early in that chapter, when in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is actually warning them against being idle. He's talking about idleness. And now you're thinking, okay, you're just, this is crazy talk right now to think that as a mom that we're being idle. Being a mom is work. It is hard. And the weariness can set in. And, you know, we could go on and on about all the ways that physically it can be weary for a mom. Man, if you're a mom of little kids, you got infants, babies that aren't sleeping through the night. Maybe you got a two-year-old that's not sleeping through the night, you know, whatever it is. I remember this summer we were doing a small group and there was a mom in our group that had, I believe her little one was five months old and that wasn't the only one she had. And I remember her coming with her prayer request that evening and she asked for joy and contentment during this season of no sleep. 
And man, I was so touched by her heart for in that prayer request because I'm pretty sure my prayer request would have been to say, Lord, can I have eight hours of sleep? That's probably what I would have asked for. But she didn't do that. She asked for joy and contentment in her weariness. And I thought, boy, that is just the epitome of that scripture of not growing weary of doing good. She had responsibility. She was doing so many things to care for her family. But she was that that was kind of the plea of her heart. I don't want to grow weary in the good that I'm doing and asking the Lord for joy and contentment in those seasons. But yep, it can be physically, you can just feel worn down. I remember when my kids were real little and Remember that old Stephen Curtis Chapman song? We're talking like probably early 90s here, folks, maybe even 80s. The the one that was, his strength is perfect when our strength is gone. And I just, man, that was like my life theme song <laughs> for several years, it felt like. You know, whether you're up in the middle of the night or they're getting up way too early or whatever it is, I just remember humming and singing that song over and over and over because you do feel in those moments that, my goodness, I just don't have any strength on my own. And that is also, I think, the reward of that season too, because the Lord does step in, doesn't He? So many times the Lord steps in and gives you the strength to do the things that you need to do. But growing weary, okay? So growing weary of doing the things we need, and then how does that tie into what I was talking about earlier with the idleness? Well, I think sometimes we can get just so worn out. We're just tired. And, you know, we think we need a little bit of a brain break or whatever. And, you know, I know that Paul did not have Instagram and Facebook, but I'm pretty sure that if he had, he would have warned us, moms, specifically, women specifically, about how easily we can be distracted and led down a road of idleness by these little devices that we hold in our hands. I mean, guys, we all know it, but man, they are such a time sucker for, I mean, they're just zapping our time. And we kind of forget how long we're on it. If you've never gone on your phone settings and then checked your screen time so it actually tells you how much time you're on your phone, it can be really eye-opening and convicting and shaming, I think, all in the same, you know, all in the same fell swoop. But I think it's important for us to be aware of that. And I am not coming to you as like, oh, this is something I never struggle with. No. So much so, whether it's, you know, work-related or ministry-related or whatever it is, I have time limits set on those things. So I make sure that I'm using my time well, because clearly I'm not capable of doing it on my own, folks. So, but setting up those types of restrictions and downtimes, I just think it's because you just don't realize how much you're on it. But remember in the days when, before COVID, and you used to be able to go to parks and stuff, and uh, you'd see moms with their kids, you know, playing at the park? It always kind of hit me because I actually can contrast this because when my kids were really little, we didn't have cell phones yet. Like those kind of came in more towards my, a little bit my second and third. I was really late to the iPhone world. I had a flip phone forever. But the trade-off is that I could kind of go back and compare how you saw moms mostly spending their time at the park with their kids. And half the time they were doing, they were sitting on the, on the bench kind of watching the kiddos with one eye, sort of watching their phone, but distracted. And I'm not even saying that to just say, oh, that's so terrible. You should never do that. And you should be 100% engaged with your kids all the time. That is not what I'm saying. But I guess I should have some compassion for those mamas sitting there because sometimes they're sitting there. They're just so tired. They're in that weary stage. But then it kind of can lend into that idleness piece if we don't take that captive and go, nope, I got, I got to, I got to be engaged in this moment with my kids. And my goodness, even now, 
with the internet, we've read so many scary stories of what happens when you're distracted by your phone and not being aware of your surroundings for your kids, for yourself, all of that. So even that alone should be a good guard for all of us. But I think we can get distracted and we can lend ourselves into being idle. And I also want to make a little bit of distinction here because I'm not talking about not ever taking a break because we talked about this when we visited the when we did the sabbath episode because it's really important that we do get rest we need to do that we need to make sure and you need to pray through what that looks like for you in your life with little kids i i talked about that in, in one episode that like for me a lot of the work piece is coming up with what we are eating on whatever our Sabbath is. I don't know why that is so taxing for my small brain, but it is. So if I can even come up with, all, do all of that kind of prep the day before, so it, the mindless just, you know, it's not like your family can starve on your Sabbath, but I've done the work part and I've gotten that out. For me, that was how that worked out for that piece, just practically speaking. But don't neglect it because I think what happens sometimes is we just go, oh, I'm just too tired. I don't have time to take a Sabbath. I um, need to get all this stuff done. I need to get caught up. And and really, we just were not wired to do that. And so what you're doing is you're just spreading yourself more thin throughout the week. So don't neglect the Sabbath part. Not focusing on that so much on this episode, but I had to mention that because I do think that we get so tired that we can just think that we don't have time for the Sabbath. You know, it doesn't make sense, right? It's kind of ironic that we would say we don't have time to rest, but we do. So don't neglect that. That's still really important for us to do. But one of the things that I want us to look at is because we can see that you know, Second Thessalonians is warning us against idleness. Because guys, as you all know, if you're a parent, if you've observed a parent, if you've observed even your own parents, parenting is work. It is not easy. And there is discipline involved in it. I want to look at a couple examples from the Old Testament. I am in my Through the Bible reading right now, and I was in the Old Testament and I came across uh, this story that I've read many times, but every time I read it, guys, I just, I have to read it a couple times, and then I have to really think through it. And so I just wanted to throw this one out because I, are, I do think there's some things that we can pull from this that I think could be interesting for us to think through as parents. But the first example that I want to look at is Nadab and Abihu. And you're like, who who are they? Well, Nadab and Abihu are the sons or were the sons of Aaron. And you first read about these two guys in Exodus 24. And in Exodus 24, 9, it says that they were with Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders. They were with some pretty cool guys. And it says they saw the God of Israel. So it's setting the story up for these two guys that man, they had a pretty strong start here. Now, they I would assume at this age, they're going to be older. These are This is more on the adult side of things, because then once you get to Exodus 28, 1, just a couple chapters later, they, it says they were called to serve as priests. So you got these two guys, Nadab and Abihu. They are the sons of Aaron, who is the priest. He, they have hung out with some pretty stellar guys. They've been hanging out with Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders of Israel. It says that they saw the God of Israel even. Okay, this is, that's huge. So you think, wow, they, they've started out so well in their young adulthood here. But then what happens? And if you know this story, this is the part where you start scratching your head just a little bit. Because when you get to, it's retold in Leviticus 10 and then also again in Numbers. But it says in Leviticus 10, it says, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, 
each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, or in some versions it says strange fire, before the Lord, which he had commanded them, which he had not commanded them. So you're like, well, okay. So they had their censer, which would have been something that they would have used in their priestly duties. And it says they laid, they offered this unauthorized fire. Now, I don't know exactly what that unauthorized fire. I tried to look up all kinds of things. Nobody really says exactly what they think that is. There's some speculations on it. But the thing that caught my eye, which was the part that says, which he had not commanded them. So regardless of what this fire was, regardless of what Nadab and Abihu did before the altar of the Lord, it was not what the Lord commanded them to do. They were being disobedient. And so then here's the conclusion to their story. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The end. That is the end of Nadab and Abihu. They did not have children. That's the end for them. Whenever I read that, it seems like such a shocking story. You're like, man, what did they do? Well, like I said, we don't know exactly what that strange fire is, but we got to, for me, the part that just has, has always highlighted to me, and again, it just gripped me this time, was that it was something that the Lord had, he had commanded them to not do it. They were disobeying the Lord. So the next two dudes I want to look at are later in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, we meet Hophni and Phinehas. Now, these guys, it's just not good. So let me tell you, 1 Samuel 2.12, this is how they are described. Word for word, this is what is in the scriptures. Hophni and Phinehas, worthless men, they did not know the Lord, period. That's what it says. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now, the, they did not know the Lord. The, the meaning there is that they just completely ignored his commands. It just ignored them. They were disobedient. And Eli, the dad, he knows that his sons are up to no good, and he actually confronts them on it. Now, I think you can see throughout the story and the few little things that come up about Hophni and Phinehas that, yeah, they, his, the dad confronted them, but these sons just did not listen. They just did not listen. Their ending is not awesome. In 1 Samuel 3, 13, he tells us what's going to, like, here's what's going to come down for Hophni and Phinehas because they have not obeyed the Lord. And he says, and I declare to them that I am about to punish his house forever. This is the house of, of Eli for the iniquity that he knew. Now, that little phrase right there for the iniquity he knew, meaning Eli knew what was going on here. And even though we saw earlier that, yes, Eli did confront them, because it says that in in chapter three there, the iniquity that he knew, it kind of makes me think, I'm not sure Eli was really doing his job here. And then it says, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Boy, that is a powerful little verse there if you're a parent, because there's, there's some implications that Eli could have been training his boys in a different way. And like I said, their story, it just doesn't end well. So God commands that they are their household is going to be ended all in the same day. And that is what happens. The uh, Israel goes and they're fighting the Philistines and they're fleeing from the Philistines. And both Hophni and Phinehas are killed on the same day. Eli, here's the news, falls off his, his seat and dies. So there you go. You got Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli all die in the same day. And what is it coming from? It's coming from the fact of that first verse we read about Hophni and Phinehas, that they were worthless men that did not know the Lord. They're men that completely ignored the commands of the Lord. So why do I bring up these really abysmal stories in the Old Testament of these four guys who just, man, 
this is not these these aren't the examples. We don't want to look at our kids someday and have First Samuel two twelve being said said of them that they are worthless and that they did not know the Lord. So what can we do with that? As I pointed out, in both of those instances, there is a there's a common thread I think that we see in those two families of disobedience and. I think that's what I would have us ask a little bit, because as I have now, my kids are not fully grown. I don't have adult kids. My oldest is a senior in high school, so I still have lots to learn. But I'm giving you the snippets from when I had little kids and how we trained them and then what that's looked like as they're older and the tremendous uh, work that I feel that women who've gone before me have taught me and helped me in training my kids. But obedience, is that a big deal in your household? Because when I look at the story of Nadab and Abihu and Hophni and Phinehas, even though there's a whole bunch of stuff in there I don't understand, I don't understand what the strange fire was. I, we, if you read the full account of Hophni and Phinehas, they were definitely into some really bad behavior. But at the core of it is the fact that they disobeyed God. They were not doing what God commanded them to do. And I think what I have seen is that obedience has got to be a big deal. So is obedience a big deal in your house? And if it's not, I think it should be. So here's how this can look, right? Training obedience when they're two, it's totally work, right? It's 18 months, two, three, four. I think I started to see the light of day a little bit when my oldest was like four and a half. That was, but those were tough training times, okay? And But the consequences that they have at that point when they're little like that, when they disobey and they deliberately take a little toy truck and chuck it in their brother's face, it has consequences. Yes, there's discipline involved. Yes. But it isn't life-threatening at that point. And if you think I'm making too big a deal about that, well, I would ask you to take a look down the pike or if you are a parent of a teenager. What does it look like then when they disobey? Because disobedience when they're teenagers, the consequences are bigger, right? 14, yeah, okay, we're getting there. 16, when they start driving. Okay, the stakes go way up. Our kids are exposed to things and are put in situations that, my goodness, we never would have dreamed probably when we were kids. And them understanding the importance of obedience is huge. But the thing is, is that obedience doesn't just, you don't just teach your kids you need to be obedient and then expect that when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, that they will just be obedient. Nope. That starts really, really early on. So I want to take this to all the way back when your kids are really little. And like I said, that's when the stakes are really small. And But they're going to have a precedence for obedience because here's why I think this is so important is while, yeah, at the time, them choosing the blue cup that you're handing them and them saying, I don't want the blue cup is in your mind, well, that's not a big deal. I don't really care if they have the blue cup. But the trick is, is that you're teaching a precedence for obedience. And if they cannot learn to obey you as their parent, When they're little like that, they will really struggle to obey the Lord later in life. And I see this a little bit. I think I got to experience the blessing of this a little bit. So how this worked for us is one of my kiddos, 
And I bring up the blue cup because we went through this little season where it didn't matter if I gave him the blue cup or if I gave him the blue plate or the yellow plate, whatever I gave him, he didn't want. And he started to have this little like, you know, and they say it's the kids are trying to express their little individualism and stuff. You can call it that if you want, or you can say it's just their sin nature, because it's probably closer to what it is. They are looking for a way to be disagreeable, right? And you might be thinking in your weary mama brain of like, my goodness, I just, I don't care if you wear the Superman shirt or, you know, the turtle shirt. I don't care. And so if they throw a fit, you're like, okay, fine, just just wear that. But I caution you on your weariness and maybe guard against that a little bit, because What that sometimes teaches our kiddos is that, oh, I'm in charge of all of my choices and I get to choose all of these things, which, you know, I'm not saying kids should never choose for themselves. I'm asking you to be really discerning as a mama when they're, you know, little and you get, you know what I'm talking about. You know when they're young and you know when they're just trying to push your buttons just a little bit. Instead of letting them push your buttons, I think it's an opportunity to train them in obedience. And I remember when we went through this season with one of my kids and my husband and I both just had a sense of like, we need to basically pull back his choices to sort of reset the dials about how important it is for you to obey. So if we give you this pair of shoes to put on, that's the pair of shoes you're going to put on. If we choose, if we say, I want you to go get in the car right now, they're going to get in the car right now. And if they don't, there are consequences. But you need to not just go, oh, well, I I guess we won't do that today. At the base of this, and I think for me, I have three boys, love them to pieces. But I remember my husband often telling me, Amy, you must win. Because there's lots of those moments with your kids where they really want to win. They really want to win. They really want to be in charge. And you know what, guys? We're the same way. It's just our sin nature that wants to exert itself in that way. But we as moms, as grandmas, as aunts, as even people that maybe are just watching kiddos, we don't help those kids by not raising the bar and expecting and teaching and training them in obedience. Because what does it look like later? I remember my pastor's wife, she always gives this example about how important obedience is. Because if they are not learning to hear your voice and heed your voice and do what you say, what does that look like if they're in a dangerous situation? So maybe when you're in your house and you're asking them to, you know, go pick up the socks on the floor and they don't feel like doing that, well, nothing tragic is going to happen to their life if they don't pick up that those socks right now. But in the real world, say we're out on the street somewhere and they're getting a little too close to that sidewalk and they choose to not stop when you say stop, then get hit by a car. They could get, we've already talked about just the danger of strangers and different things like that. It is important to their safety that they know to obey you. And then I think down the road, we can talk about the ways that if you have learned this precedence of obedience and submitting your will in this case, your child submitting your will to yours and your husband's, then they're going to, it's going to be an easier go for them to then submit their will to God, for them to be able to obey the Lord. And that has eternal ramifications on it. I just think our society does a bad job of making obedience a big deal. We sort of balk at authority in our 
in our culture. And we sort of, we want to challenge authority. We see so much challenge to authority. But moms, grandmas, aunts, man, guys, it's really important that this piece of obedience be a big deal in your home. We used to always making sure we were not just teaching rules, you know, like don't jump on the couch, but obeying what we say. My husband used to even kind of play little drills a little bit. Now, the kids didn't really know this, but and he would say something for them to do that might seem kind of silly. And they would, you know, sort of look, but then they would do it because they would think dad's funny or whatever. And he would praise them and, you know, kind of make it a big deal. Because what he's trying to do is teach them no to obey what I'm saying. In our house, it was a rule you could throw balls in the living room. Guys, I wish I was making this up. I don't know if this is just I'm a victim of of mom of three boys, but my husband grew up in a house that he couldn't throw the balls. And probably because seriously, most <laughs> moms would say, no, you're not throwing balls in my house. But so Chris was like, no. I want us to be able to throw balls in our house. So early, early on, he had me, like, there was nothing in our family room that was valued at more than $15. There was not a single piece of glass in a frame. Either I removed it intentionally or it had already been broken out. I think we had a, a clock that, yep, that was broken, so there was no no glass in that. But if you looked at it, the family room looked pretty well put together. But then if you looked a little close, look closer, you were like, oh, there, there's no glass in any of this. Well, no. And the reason, guys, believe this or not, we had a full-size hoop in our family room. Yep, full-size hoop hanging mounted on the wall. Now, we had special balls. They were soft, so they couldn't cause too much damage. But yes, we had a giant full-size hoop in our family room. And oh my goodness, family memories abound having that hoop in there. I don't regret it one bit. Nope, my living room never looked like Pottery Barn, that's for darn sure, but it was a really fun family thing. Okay, but guys, that's our family rule. You can throw walls in our in our living room. I remember even having their friends over and they would kind of look at me like, really, I can throw a ball in here? Yeah, you can. But here's the thing, we didn't want our kids to then go to grandma's house and think they could throw balls. So it was very important for them to hear that you're obeying mom and dad. You're not obeying the rule necessarily. A couple little comparisons on this with the age in which you kind of strike up some of this stuff with your kids because Proverbs has a whole bunch to say about parenting. And I just love the Proverbs. I've mentioned before, it is a family routine in our house. We did it this morning, devotion, 7 a.m. We read through the Proverbs. Um, there's one proverb for every day. So our family gets together before the day starts, and we read a proverb every single day. We've done it since I think my kids were in kindergarten. And then we always pull out a verse, and we talk about it. There's a lot that Proverbs has to say on parenting. And especially as my kids got a little older, we could come across these verses where we could sort of explain to them, here's the why in some of this parenting. Because that's really important to be able to say the why. Uh, one verse on that. So Proverbs twenty two fifteen it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. The part I want to camp out on there is the folly piece. It's bound up in the heart of a child. Okay, that's the, we're talking young here, right? Proverbs twenty seven twenty two says, Crush a fool 
in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, and yet his folly will not depart from him. And I love how my husband talks about this, and he was able, even more recently, you know, like I said, as the kids are older and we could talk about some of the things, but why we chose to discipline them when they were younger, what that looks like, and, and the whole purpose behind that. Because what 22.15 and 27.22, the distinction between those things is when you get to 27.22 and it says crush a fool, it's like even if you crush a fool, meaning he's grown, he's an adult, he's not a little guy anymore. And it's like it's saying even if you you crush him with a mortar and pestle, like you're really drilling down, even then you can't drill the folly far from him. Okay? That's a scary word for me as a mom. But one other little proverb I want to throw in here too. You know, I just we're comparing these other two passages, but also Proverbs 29, 15, I think speaks to the why in this piece. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. You know, notice it's it's not just the rod, but it's the correction piece too. It's the why. And I think that's really important when it comes to discipline is to supply that why. So that way we can go to other people's houses. Everyone's going to have different rules. You need to obey the things that we're saying. But then I know the other verses in Proverbs that give us a recipe for how we can be successful in parenting. And it talks about actually doing the work of that. I love Proverbs 29, 17, when it says, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. Have you ever run into those parents that are just feel like parenting is like the worst thing that ever happened to them? You're around them or you leave and you're like, man, they do not look like they're having a fun time. They look exhausted. It's just not a peaceful scene at all. I think Proverbs there is giving us a little peek into that. Because here, if you discipline your son, it says, he'll give you rest. He will be a delight to your heart. Parenting, discipline, the things that we do with that, it's work. It's going to take a whole lot of effort from you. You're going to need to refer back to the Thessalonians verse often and not grow weary in doing good because it's a lot of work. But if we don't do the work, a couple things happen here. One of them is this one right here, that we don't get to experience the delight in parenting. I'm telling you guys, stay the course with parenting even when it is so hard. I wish I could say that to my own self back when my kids were younger. And I think it is only by the grace of the Lord and the amazing encouragement of my husband that I continued steadfastly in the discipline and in the work of that. Because when they're young, sometimes you feel like, this isn't working. I don't think this is what I'm supposed to be. I mean, it just seems like it's never going to end. But now, being 15 years down the road, 12 years down the road, depending on the kiddo we're talking about, I can look at that work. And I can see Proverbs 29, 17 in it. And yes, we could talk about a whole host of other issues when you get to teenagers and all that kind of stuff. But the delight, the rest, the peace. And I think it begins because obedience was taken so seriously. And I and I need that refresher even still. Because now, like I said, my kids are older. But now I'm taking that piece of obedience that we were training and drilling down so hard when they were younger. And now we get to shift that into more the spiritual and the eternal perspective of obedience of, guys, man, this is so important that you obey the Lord. 
and here's why. And their little their minds can go back to the times when they were it was just parents, and they're still have to obey their parents, right? There's still consequences if you don't. But they can actually remember to wow, I like really got in trouble when I did that, and that is a healthy thing because they have a connection point there that we need to be obedient. And then as they're older now, and we get to talk about how blessed they will be, the rewards of obedience with the Lord. It's just so rewarding, and it's a really great conversation to have with them older. But I feel like you can't have that conversation or you don't get to experience the fruit of it quite as much if some of that groundwork hasn't been laid early on. And I want to just jump back to real quick with that verse, that comparison with the two Proverbs verses, because oftentimes I'll hear young moms go, well, they're just kind of too young to understand, and we'll get to that later down the road. Oh, please don't wait. Please don't wait. You will find the delight that Proverbs 29 is talking about there if you don't wait. Do it now. If your kids are little, I guarantee you, there's scores of mamas out there that have high school and adult kids that would say, oh, no, 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 do it now, do it now. So if you're that mom that has the, even the one-year-old, you're like, wait, one? They can be bad then? Oh, yes. They are born sinners, right? They might not start expressing it quite yet, but you're going to see it sooner than you think. And just start prepping your mind, gearing your mind with this idea that, we are going to make obedience a big deal. Obedience is going to be a big deal. In our house, we disciplined. We always It was easy to keep track of because I know moms, we can get a little like overwhelmed and go, man, I don't even know. Is this something that you should be disciplined for? Or is this not that big a deal? So for me, it was always the three Ds. And this is not original to me. Awesome mom had grown kids. She passed this on to me. And she said it was disobedience, disrespect, and destruction. And by that, we mean intentional destruction. Can you tell I had boys? Disobedience. We've talked about that one a ton. That is just so important because it's teaching them obedience later to God. Disrespect, that's another big one because you can, we could talk more on that one on our respect and reverence for the Lord and the implications that that has. But certainly, it's closely, I think, tied in with the disobedience. But disrespect, you know, can have its own nuance and flair a little bit in our in our little angels. <laughs> but it's important to notice that one because that is something our society is highly lacking as well. So parents, moms, we've got a big job to do to uh, instill with our kids the ideals that obedience matters, that respect is important. And then the last one, destruction of property. Yeah, again, I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm not talking about, you know, accidentally dropping a vase or anything like that. Those are just, that's just an accident, no big deal. I'm talking about intentional destruction of property. I sometimes think when we are observing some of these riots and individuals going out just flat out destroying property, I think somewhere along the line, you were not disciplined with either of any of the three Ds because they would have learned early on that you don't do that. That's not acceptable to do that. That's that even just distru being destructive is being disrespectful and disobeying. It's all of those things. So those sometimes helped me in my tired days when my buttons were getting pushed to go is this something I'm supposed to be disciplining for? Because often we know the answer, but our brain is like, no, I'm just too tired to even focus on that. But that helped me to get there. I want to close with just a couple other verses, but I wanted to highlight, you know, Hebrews 12, 11. This is, it's an encouragement for us to keep going, but it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, 
it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's exactly what we're talking about right now. Doing these these things when they are younger and disciplining and putting in that work now, it says that later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But stick in there. Keep doing the work. And we get to have that Hebrews 12, 11. Like it says, it's not, discipline's not fun at the moment. It's painful, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And not only for you as a parent does it yield that, but it does that for your kids too. I remember so often, you know, disciplining one of my kids and thinking, oh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to grow up and just be resentful because they always got in trouble. They don't. Now, there's right ways to discipline for sure. And if you have never been taught like a biblical model on what good parenting would look like, I would really recommend go to athecreek.com and download Pastor Brett's stuff on it, that most of them are in Proverbs, but specifically those pieces on parenting. So good. I want to encourage you to really plug into your kids. I would want you to encourage you to not grow weary in doing good to not get sucked in by idleness when you're just exhausted. Put the stuff away. Remind yourself in these scriptures. That that Thessalonians verse of do not grow weary in doing good, look how short that is. You've like memorized an entire verse. You could just say that to yourself over and over all day. And the Lord will meet you in all of that. He is so faithful when we intend to purpose in our own hearts to honor him, to glorify the Lord. Remember, that's our whole point, right? Is to glorify the Lord. And so that should be our question in anything. That's our question in parenting. How am I glorifying the Lord in parenting? Is it honoring and glorifying to the Lord to teach and train your kids to obey their parents, to obey the Lord? Yeah, that is honoring and that's glorifying to the Lord. It teaches them. It gives them more of a capacity to honor and glorify the Lord because they're going to know these things of the Word. So the last one I want to read to you is just been kind of a theme, and I've brought this, I feel like, in so many conversations that we've had on the podcast or in other things, but Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, it reminds us to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And I just wanted to end on that note because as I've said before, these days just feel so heavy, right? I mean, they feel heavy. They feel tough. It sometimes feels like boy, there's just not a whole lot of good news out there. And maybe out there, there really isn't. But I think that we can have some really good news in our homes. I think if we really look at the Lord's word and what he has to say about obedience and about training our kids and plugging away on those things, we're going to have that hope and that peace in our homes. We're going to be teaching and training our kids how to combat this crazy world and crazy culture we got out there by starting it at home and really taking that piece seriously. But I, like I've mentioned many times, it's going to be hard. Don't be worried. Don't be concerned you're doing something wrong if you have resistance because it's, it just is. It is definitely going to be hard. But please keep doing the good work. If you have another mom that you know you're kind of in the trenches together, I had a mom that we would, well, we didn't text back then because there wasn't texting. I told you. I had a flip phone. But just calling every now and then and just encouraging each other, that can be helpful. Remember to pray for other moms that are in your same boat. I want to say just for a second, too, for moms of older kids, you know, the Lord redeems so much. So if you're sitting here going, oh, 
I've messed all this up. I didn't do any of this stuff when they were two and three and four and five. Don't go there. The Lord is so good to redeem and take back what the locust would destroy. I think that's an Amos or Joel. He's so good about that. Give that to the Lord and pray about how the Lord would have you work with your kids. And depending on the ages they are, boy, there's a whole lot of conversations that can be had that can be really fruitful for you guys. But I think at the heart of all of those things with our kids is just praying. Whether they're, even if they're not born, start praying. Even if uh, they're 20, (laughs) keep praying. I just find that that is really where the power where the good that we will have in parenting, any good we have is going to come from the Lord and the things he enables and strengthens us to do, keeping us in that place of not growing weary, but doing the things that he has called us to do. That's you being obedient to the Lord. He's given these people in your, you know, in your influence, he's given them to you. So you are being obedient to the Lord by the ways in which you are teaching and training those kids. So keep plugging away. Do not grow weary. Like I said, maybe you're not a parent. Maybe you're a grandma. Or maybe you're an aunt or a friend supporting one of these moms that is in the trenches right now. Encourage them and pray for them. But then also, I think some of these scriptures have implication for us personally. Because like we were talking about a little bit of the minutia of actually having kids obey and teaching and training obedience. But we have to have that same obedience, don't we? And we need to recognize, even just looking at an Old Testament story of these two guys, Nadab and Abihu and Hophni and Phinehas, we don't want to be in that class. The Lord puts a high premium on obedience. So I am praying that I will be, you will be, our kids that we will also recognize the importance of obedience, that we will not grow weary in doing good. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.